Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There's a bright spot in Connecticut's lagging economy. Manufacturing is growing, and there's a need for thousands of highly skilled workers to fill these jobs. Coming up, we'll hear about an initiative out of Goodwin College in East Hartford, Connecticut, that aims to bring advanced manufacturing training to prospective students off campus. We'll hear more about the Mobile Manufacturing Lab. That's later. First, one of the state's biggest manufacturers, United Technologies Corporation, has announced a big change in its future. UTC plans to split up into three separate companies. What does that mean for the Connecticut residents UTC employs? Joining our conversation here on Where We Live is Joe Cooper. He's a web editor for the Hartford Business Journal. Joe, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thanks for having me on. So I mentioned this uh, announcement, I believe it was last week, that UTC plans to split into three separate companies. Uh, tell us about United Technologies. They've had a long history in Farmington, Connecticut, but tell us about these other two companies that it's hoping to split off from. Yeah, so uh, UTC is an 84-year-old conglomerate. Um, they were originated as an aerospace business, but in the uh, 1970s, they uh, diversified out of the um, aerospace industry, um, well, not out of the industry, but um, they also added on two pieces, uh, Otis Elevator and uh, Carrier. Um, Otis is a, obviously a manufacturer of elevators, escalators, walkways, and Carrier, Carrier makes products for HVAC, air conditioning, and building systems. Um, those, those alone uh, today are multi-billion dollar companies. Carrier uh, drew in $18 billion in sales last year, and Otis uh, drew in $12 billion in sales. So Otis and Carrier are doing well. Uh, what reasons did uh, UTC Chairman and CEO Greg Hayes give in wanting to split? So Hayes indicated last week uh, following the split that um, UTC looked uh, at, its, at its companies and its conglomerate over the last 14 months, and they reviewed um, 74 different spinoffs um, that um, happened over the last decade, and they were really trying to look at whether these businesses could support themselves with the cash flows that were coming in in order to still make those investments to sustain growth. And what they realized in that research is that um, with its aerospace unit growing with the acquisition of Rockwell Collins, um, they believe that each entity can stand alone on its own and that they had the, uh, the proper cash flows coming in, that they didn't have to have any cross-subsidiary um, backing so they um, also spoke to their investors, and it was almost near unanimous support from um, the investors that you know, this was a move that they wanted to um, have each business uh, have a focused interest and have separate headquarters. Um, it remains to be seen where some of these headquarters will be placed, though. I believe the Hartford Business Journal reported that uh, this new acquisition, uh, this uh, Rockwell Collins, that the executives will be based in Florida. Is, is that a concern uh, that um, any of the employees will be moving down there as well? UC, UTC hasn't indicated anything that would suggest there um, is going to be movement uh, further to Florida. Um, this is going to be a 30-man, uh, 30 uh, operation, about um, yeah, 30 or so executives will be placed in the Palm Beach uh, offices there. Um, Connecticut still has, uh, UTC has about 18,000 workers in 
Connecticut, and it's actually more than it was back when uh, UTC sold off Sikorsky in 2015. So um, there's, there's little reason for concern right now, but it'll be a moving target that you'll want to keep your eye on. And I believe uh, UTC had accepted an incentive package a, a few years ago that would keep them in Connecticut for some time? Correct. In um, 2014, uh, Governor Malloy unlocked about $400 million in tax breaks for UTC. Um, attached to that agreement, um, UTC agreed to have Pratt expand operations in Windsor Locks, East Hartford, um, and they're also committing um, to stay in East Hartford for 15 years. That was as of uh, you know, 2014. So um, there's little um, reason to believe that as far as UTC's aerospace unit is concerned that it'll be moving out of Connecticut anytime soon. On the phone with me, Joe Cooper, web, web editor for the Hartford Business Journal, as we talk about uh, the news out of uh, UTC last week that it's splitting its uh, companies into three, uh, UTC uh, Aerospace as well as Otis and Carrier operating independently. Uh, Joe, you were just talking about um, the fact that UTC is committed to staying in East Hartford for uh, a number of years, but with this uh, idea of Otis and um, Carrier operating independently, there's a little bit of concern that maybe these companies could move? There's a little concern, especially considering, um, you know, Rockwell Collins comes from Iowa, uh, UTC Aerospace uh, comes from Charlotte, um, UTC has continually um, expanded its Florida operations. Um, the UTC last week, you know, recommitted its, um, its, its good faith in Connecticut's workforce and that it's going to need a lot of good engineering jobs here in the future back in May. UTC announced that it was going to be hiring uh, 35,000 more workers, 9,000 of those coming in Connecticut over the next five years. So UTC has made, uh, made sure that its investors and you know, the community in Connecticut knows that it's committed here. I know with uh, the announcement, uh, there were uh, questions raised if there's any issues uh, uh, coming down the line when you think about how conglomerate uh, GE was having operational problems. Uh, I believe Greg Hayes was asked this on CNBC last week. This is what he said. You know, GE, different animal than UTC, right? Much more complicated, had a financing arm, things that we don't have. So our, our split here is actually quite simple, complex in the, in the tax restructuring, but in terms of separating, we already have three businesses that run by themselves. Our goal now is just to set up three public company headquarters to support those businesses. Uh, Joe, uh, what has Governor-elect uh, Ned Lamont uh, been saying about this announcement, again, with uh, looking at the, the future of Otis and Carrier, if they're able to stay in the state? Yeah, Governor Lamont's been pretty candid about wanting to um, have an open line of communication with uh, CEO Greg Hayes. Um, during his campaign this year, um, Lamont uh, uh, spoke to about 60 CEOs, and, but one of those, interestingly, was not um, Greg Hayes. Um, Greg Hayes did meet with Bob Stefanowski during the campaign, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how those communications go between the governor-elect and uh, Greg Hayes. Uh, governor Lamont last week said he would uh, be speaking with Greg Hayes soon and that he was going to be keeping a close eye on, you know, where those Connecticut jobs would be, and he uh, was pretty adamant about how focused he would be on, you know, keeping the jobs in Connecticut. Uh, tell us more about uh, this acquisition of Rockwell Collins. Again, it's an Iowa-based aviation systems maker. Um, how does this complement uh, what UTC does in the aerospace uh, arena? Yeah, so it just it further adds uh, UTC's presence in the commercial uh, aerospace uh, sector. Um, Rockwell Collins, as you said, is based out of Iowa. 
Um, they're a producer of airline cabins and other electronic systems. Um, Rockwell's had uh, some some down quarters recently, which has uh, given some investors some pause as far as um, its outlook going forward. But um, UTC is always interested in expanding its aviation. Back in 2012, it also acquired Goodrich uh, Corporation in a $16 billion deal, and this is um, a little under double the price, uh, $30 billion to acquire Rockwell. So it's, it's pretty significant for UTC to take on uh, the scale. Uh, we were talking about all three uh, businesses, UTC, Otis, and Carrier, uh, doing well. Uh, but in terms of uh, the, the tariff war, um, how much money has UTC had to spend uh, in relation to Otis and Carrier? Well, uh, Hayes was pretty candid last week on CNBC. Um, he said that Carrier had to increase its prices three times alone this year, uh, this far to make up those additional tariff costs that um, have been kind of inflamed by uh, President Trump. And he didn't uh, mince words about, you know, it's impacting America. He, he believes that tariffs, you know, are, are ultimately a tax on consumers and that they don't bring back jobs. Um, and, and he's expecting in uh, 2019 that UTC will spend an additional $150 million um, to cover the costs of these additional tariffs. So, um, Greg Hayes wasn't um, going to, to step back from, you know, where he stands on these tariffs, while maybe some other CEOs have ha- taken a back seat in, you know, criticizing um, where the White House has stand- stood on these issues. Mm. And in terms of Otis and Carrier uh, splitting again by 2020, uh, what's it going to take uh, to, to get that split to happen? Can you walk us through that, Joe? Yeah, so there's a number of uh, regulatory approvals that they'll need, antitrust approval, uh, the Department of Justice will have its say and you know, what it thinks about the spinoffs. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty lengthy process. It's going to take 18 to 24 months. Um, some investors have raised concerns uh, about you know, the, the duration of how long it's going to be to um, unfold these tax restructurings. Um, UTC has 1,200 illegal entities around the world, so they're going to have to um, establish themselves through um, hundreds of millions in startup costs. I, they need uh, IT services. Um, so there's a number of different things that go into it. Their, their board obviously needs to give final approval on this as well. So this will be a lengthy process, and there will be uh, many hurdles for you to see to clear before it gets the spinoff uh, in the works in 2020. And then any more plans for future divestitures? Yeah, he's indicated last week on CNBC that a carrier is going to be looking at selling off its uh, fire safety and security business. It's uh, valued at about $2.5 billion. Um, he said that you know the business at times lacks innovation and has little technology advancement, which is not potentially the direction that UTC wants to go. So um, he, he said that they will also look at other offers as well, but he questioned the market as far as how ripe it is um, for you know people looking to buy with a high level of risk. Joe, I'd asked you earlier about uh, Governor-elect uh, Ned Lamont's uh, feelings on, again, this uh, move by UTC to split into three companies by 2020. Uh, any other uh, concerns in, in the business community about this, or is everyone uh, still looking positive at the news? It's still looking positive at this point. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, investor analysts who believe that you know this deal does add value for shareholders, that looking at these businesses individually giving them a focused eye with uh, CEOs running each individually at different headquarters will uh, refocus them um, in ways that GE has struggled in the past in which they're trying to 
uh, hurry up and try to divest at this point might be a little bit too late, but UTC is been adamant about you know this spinoff coming from a position of strength and not a position of weakness. So um, it remains to be seen, you know, how this is all going to play out, and we'll have uh, more indication over the next 24 months. Joe Cooper, again, is web editor for the Hartford Business Journal. You can read more of his articles about, again, this news from UTC that it hopes to split into three companies by 2020. Uh, we'll tweet out some of those links as well as reporting from WNPR. Joe Cooper, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, you. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Up next, with thousands of manufacturing jobs available at UTC and other Connecticut-based companies, who's going to fill these jobs? An initiative out of Goodwin College is trying to attract middle and high school students to consider a career in manufacturing. We're going to hear how right after the break, and you can join us too, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. What kinds of careers excite middle and high school students? Companies like UTC and Electric Boat hope it's manufacturing, with the growing demand to fill thousands of manufacturing jobs in the state. But what image do young people have of manufacturing jobs? Long days in a dark factory, perhaps? An initiative out of Goodwin College in East Hartford launched in 2016 to help change these misperceptions. Now, is your teenager interested in a manufacturing career? Or is it a tough sell? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Now, for more on this initiative out of Goodwin College, joining me in studio is Dr. Cliff Thurmer, Associate Professor and Assistant Vice President for Strategy and Business Development and Chair of the Department of Business Management and Advanced Manufacturing at Goodwin College. Cliff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Also with us is Dr. Al Pusino, Associate Professor and Director of Incumbent Worker Training at Goodwin College. Al, Al welcome to Where We Live. Thank you. Uh, so I mentioned uh, perceptions of manufacturing. Um, Al, tell us, what do you hear from young people when they think about a, a manufacturing career? What comes to mind for them? Well, I think when we first speak with them, they're thinking of, as you said, the four Ds, dirty, dark, dangerous, and depressing. <laughs> and it's not that. Um, they also love to ask the question, how much money is out there and what is the pay? And I tell them, dispel the thoughts about dark, dingy, dingy, dirty, and destructive and all that bad stuff. And it's going to be clean. It's going to be modern. And you can make some pretty good money out there in manufacturing. Big money. Big money. <laughs> uh, so I mentioned uh, there's this initiative out of Goodwin College. Uh, Cliff, could you talk about this idea of a mobile manufacturing lab? I mean, what is it? And uh, tell us how the idea came to be. Well, the lab is, uh, it's a 44-foot uh, trailer. Uh, it's kind of like an RV where the sides pull out on the, on the, from either side, and it's pulled by a Ford F-350 truck, uh, and it's really a classroom and a laboratory all inside. And um, when we first got into manufacturing about 2012, we realized that uh, it was really important to outreach to students and people around careers in manufacturing. And, but we realized there's a real problem with getting kids from high schools that may not have uh, exposure to manufacturing to the school to be able to experience that. And so uh, uh, the, the, the challenge was, was posed to our team, uh, and actually our, 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 one of our vice presidents, Todd Andrews, said, you know, we have to figure out a way to get these 
get this to the kids. He said, we should have like a, a, a lab or a bus or something. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay. <laughs> Went back, did a little research, and we realized that uh, this is not a new concept, but it was new for us. And we worked with a company out of uh, Pittsburgh, No H Kansas, Depco, to design this trailer. And the whole purpose is to be able to bring the trailer out and give uh, kids at schools, middle schools, high schools, uh, an experience, uh, expose them to the whole manufacturing process. So everything from design to prototyping uh, to uh, electronics and pneumatics and, and all the tools that they might use in quality, microscopes and, and, and a lot of uh, these pieces, that actually the whole initial piece was actually designed by Al um, in, in putting this trailer experience together. And we were doing poster boards and, and storyboards and how do we make this exciting for kids? And so when the kids get to come in, we do a, a piece on career manufacturing. We talk to kids about all the opportunities that they have out there today. And we ask them, did you ever think of something? Did you ever make, you know, come up with a great idea? Yeah. What'd you do with it? Eh, nothing. <laughs> well, how about taking that great idea and we teach you how to put it on paper and design it in a computer and then actually make it? Really? We could do that? Yeah, we could do that. So are these kids that are not at the technical high schools, but at other schools that, Meg, you said have not had experience with manufacturing at all? Sure. Some of them are. Um, a lot of the, uh, the other high, non-technical high schools do have different uh, exposures to uh, uh, making computers, but we want to give them a real maker experience where the kids can actually design and make something a little bit more than a typical shop class. Uh, you mentioned the design, so I'll, I'll turn back over to Al Pusino, Associate Professor and Director of Incumbent Worker Training at Goodwin College. So you get this RV. Uh, explain uh, what's in it when a student walks in. Well, when a student walks in, we'd like to show them from co you know, product concept all the way to shipping a product to your customers. We start off with a CAD program, computer-aided design, and we show them how that works. Then we show them how they can go from that to a technical drawing and then make a prototype using 3D printing. Once they look at that and they want to move forward, we show them how to possibly use a computer numerical controlled machine to manufacture the part. Then we show them the quality steps. How do you ensure that the customer is getting the product that they want and meets their specification? We walk them through that. And then we show how basically we make counts on quantity to make sure your customers get the parts, the right parts at the right time. And uh, then there's the customer at the end who we really don't have in our mobile lab, but we simulate the whole process from beginning to end so they could see what the manufacturing process really looks like. It's interesting when we talk about manufacturing in the state of Connecticut lately, it's uh, how uh, big companies like Electric Boat um, are, are attracting, uh, say, an adult at a community college to, uh, to a career in manufacturing. Uh, but it's interesting to think about trying to get that attention uh, to a middle schooler. And what do you hear from students uh, when uh, they're first uh, uh, given this experience? Do they then doubt what they've learned in school? Do they have fears about maybe they don't have the right math or science skills? Cliff, I'll go to you. I don't think, I think they're in awe of what's possible. I mean, when you look at the technology that's, that's being used and they, you know, th th these kids today, they use uh, phones that have more computer technology than anything I had growing up. And so they're kind of situated for this. So when they're exposed to what's possible and the fact that they can make these things and design them, it does kind of excite them. And uh, what we find is that when we bring the kids through what we call it's manufacturing in motion, um, when we bring the kids through that, we see a real awareness change and say, you know, I might consider a career in manufacturing from a kid who's never thought about it to saying, wow, this is really cool stuff.
Today we're talking about the mobile manufacturing lab that Goodwin College in East Hartford launched uh, a few years ago. In studio with me, Dr. Cliff Thurmer, Associate Professor and Assistant Vice President for Strategy and Business Development, also Chair of the Department of Business Management and Advanced Manufacturing at Goodwin. Also, Dr. Al Pusino, Associate Professor and Director of Incumbent Worker Training at Goodwin College. So how often does this RV go out on the road uh, once you hook a student, per se? What are the next steps? How do you make sure that they continue on uh, this thinking that a manufacturing career might be for them. Well, we're hoping as we as we do meet with the uh, schools, middle schools and high schools, uh, their teachers do participate in the workshops also. And we also encourage uh, counselors, guiding counselors to be a part of it. So we'd like to see some sustainability and not just us come in one day and talk about manufacturing, but we'd like to alert them to the fact, uh, just as we do the students, that it is a viable career. It's a great career potentially for their students, and there should be some kind of activity within the classroom to continue that. So Cliff, how are you paying for this RV? Well, it was actually paid for by uh, a grant uh, from DECD, uh, Pratt & Whitney, uh, New Alliance Bank uh, had had contributed uh, funds towards this. And uh, it, it is, um, it, it's really been a remarkable piece. And now the training is sustained uh, because we do a lot of incumbent worker training. And we still get uh, grants from uh, Pratt & Whitney, the Hartford Innovation Place, to go out and bring the Manufacturing in Motion program uh, across the state. Uh, we mentioned that this idea launched uh, two or three years ago, uh, but Al, I understand now uh, that's gotten the attention uh, of the Malloy administration. They've launched an RFP to expand this initiative. Can you tell us more about that? Well, that's correct. Well, there's so much to do out there. It's just impossible for us alone as one entity. So uh, we've responded to an RFP from the state along with some partners within the state to really expand this. So one, we can continue to do both what we're doing is our incumbent worker training, which is visiting uh, manufacturers and providing one and two day workshops for uh, skills really development. And, and secondly, to reach out to more of the schools in the state. I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering with the the RV and uh, getting students' interest in manufacturing, do you then help uh, schools maybe develop uh, programs on site or trying to figure out a way to bring this into the curriculum for students who are interested? Cliff? Uh, Great question. Actually, we we work pretty closely with uh, CCAT, uh, Connecticut Center for Advanced Technologies, over in uh, East Hartford. And uh, they have some great programs uh, on, on uh, young manufacturers, uh, career programs that they bring out to the middle schools, and, and we support them. Uh, we'll, we'll roll the trailer out to some of their events, and we'll give kids experiences within the trailer as well. Um, we, we're working with a school up in, up in Litchfield, Connecticut, to bring ex- manufacturing experiences to, to, to some students in the high school age range. We're, we're, so in addition to the manufacturing emotion, we're looking to be able to do things like that. Um, and we'll take the trailer any place, any place we can fit it. <laughs> we have to fit it. It's 44 feet plus the truck. And just to give the kids anywhere in Connecticut this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I asked about the RFP a little earlier. And so what would that mean exactly um, if, you, uh, if you're able to expand? Would it be another RV? I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, this is uh, manufacturing in Connecticut is right now I think is a once in a lifetime generational opportunity for us, and we have to get the word out there. If we are now uh, this RFP that we're uh, pursuing is actually in concert with uh, CCAT and the state technical college system. 
how neat for us to be able to work together to be able to bring this out there and share this resource so that we can literally, if we have two trailers, we can double our efforts, you know, three trailers, four trailers. You know, if we're able to do this, how much more can we accomplish? Remember, there's 4,400 or so manufacturers in the state of Connecticut, and we make all kinds of things. That's you know? right. So components for uh, the big projects that UTC or Pratt & Whitney or Sikorsky are building. Sure. But, but medical devices, food, you, you name it, we probably make it somewhere here in Connecticut. And, and it's, it's very exciting to go to a manufacturer and just see um, the quality of what they're doing. And everybody who produces something understands how it works and how it fits into the bigger picture. And the incredible pride that our manufacturers have in making things is, is something that we want to be able to get out to and, and, and share with our kids. Um, and not just the kids, but anybody who may have been in a career or may not be um, in the career that they originally wanted to and never thought about manufacturing, come on down. If not Goodwin, community college, any place that's teaching and making manufacturing, go check it out and look at the career opportunities that are out there. Al, what are uh, the big uh, companies in Connecticut telling you in terms of the kind of workers they need? Because we do hear that flip side, that there aren't enough uh, skilled workers to fill these jobs. Right. Very true. And and skill is uh, technical skill is a big part of it. But there's also understanding, for example, problem solving, critical thinking skills. Uh, they find that these are missing nowadays. And we try to, in, in particular, our workshops that we deliver, we really uh, incorporate these thinking and critical thinking skills and problem-solving skills into each of our workshops. Uh, manufacturers will tell us they want people who are dedicated, loyal, who understand what they're doing, uh, and uh, are not afraid to ask questions and, and understand specifically what needs to be accomplished. But there's gaps there, and that's the thing that we try to fill. We try to fill those skill gaps that exist. And as people move up in other positions or people move out because of retirement, somebody's got to fill those. And they can walk into the position, but they may not have the skills necessary. So that's what we're there, to provide those skills for them, to give them a start potentially at a new area in their work that's going to benefit them and their company. We're talking about the Mobile Manufacturing Lab. It's this uh, big RV that moves around the state uh, to schools and other places. It's an uh, initiative out of Goodwin College. In studio with me, Dr. Al Pusino, uh, director, associate so, professor and director of incumbent worker training at Goodwin College, and also Dr. Cliff Thurmer, assistant v VP for strategy and business development and chair of the Department of Business Management and Advanced Manufacturing at Goodwin College. I wanted to learn a little bit more, Al, about the incumbent worker training that you do and give us some idea of, of the success of this program. Well, again, this is skills development training. Uh, we take our mobile classroom to manufacturers' facilities. We basically park in their parking facility. Their workers come out and partake in one- and two-day workshops. We've uh, taught over 1,200 employees so far within the state, and this is uh, over 40 different companies within the state. And the reason we, can, we believe we're having success uh, uh, is the fact that we do have repeat business. We have one company in East Hartford, Connecticut, who has just completed its 14th workshop with us. We also evaluate and poll the uh, 
uh, participants of the workshop after the workshop and speak with them and ask them what they liked about it and what they didn't. And we do make changes. It's all about continuous improvement. In general, they're happy with what we do. And I think the other thing we do is we try to, though we can't totally customize the workshop, we really try to understand the company's business. We'll visit, we'll tour their manufacturing facility, we'll do some research on the internet about the company, and we'll try best we can to make the workshop that we're teaching relevant to that particular company. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, we were curious about the uh, incumbent worker training program, and uh, David's on the line from North Brantford, uh, who actually participated in this program. Uh, David, uh, thanks for calling in. Thanks for having us. Good morning. So tell us, uh, what do you do specifically in North Brantford, and how are you helped by this program? Um, what I do here is I'm the director of Smart Services. And what Penn Globe does is manufacture um, streetlights, <clears throat> decorative streetlights, in fact. Um, we've been doing this since 1877. So when the opportunities make themselves available for us to update our processes um, and stay in the mix, we take advantage of them. Uh, with the Goodwin College Incumbent Worker Training Program, probably one of the most impressive portions of it is that uh, they literally took care of the entire process from the beginning to the end. Um, the state of Connecticut through DECD made this IWT program available and very accessible. Uh, Goodwin College actually came down, as I was saying earlier, Cliff, I don't recall, um, toward our facility, saw what syllabuses they had that would uh, benefit us, adapted them to our, uh, to our manufacturing process, and actually brought the trailer right here. We were fortunate it did fit in our parking lot. It is pretty big. <laughs> well, David, uh, thank you for calling in. I am curious what got you into manufacturing, and as we think about getting a younger generation interested, uh, what needs to happen there? Um, you know what? You hit on it earlier, which is the, the, the dispelling of the myth that it's a dark, dank, clanking, um, um, sweat type of an environment. Uh, we run a nice, clean facility here. Um, there's a lot of critical thinking in these processes, and especially in today's generation, where, you, you know, let's not just follow the rules. Let's find a bigger, better, faster way of doing things. Um, it's an open forum for people to really explore their ideas. Um, and under Goodwin's guidance, they do come to realities. And David, before we let you go, I'm curious, the company you work for, are they hiring? Uh, right now, we are always looking for opportunities. Um, uh, we work directly with the Workforce Alliance, but anyone who comes and knocks on a door will absolutely be entertained. Well, David, again, thank you uh, for calling us, uh, who works for a light manufacturing company in North Branford, as we talk about the future of manufacturing, some initiatives to attract uh, more attention to a career, including this mobile manufacturing lab uh, that's being hosted and launched by Goodwin College. We just have a couple minutes left. Uh, with this change in the administration, uh, what are the chances for this RFP to move forward, Cliff? Well, we're certainly hopeful. I, I, I think uh, um, our new governor understands how important manufacturing is to the state of Connecticut. Uh, we have no reason to believe that uh, uh, that's going to change. Um, with uh, so many available jobs uh, in, in, in Connecticut, right, I'm in manufacturing, uh, we, we think it's a good probability. Uh, the other piece is uh, um, in Connecticut, we've driven, you know, Connecticut's not that big. Mm -hmm. We've driven over 10,000 miles with this trailer back and forth crossing Connecticut. And we understand the need to be able to reach every kid in every school and everyone who wants that opportunity. Um, and so that's part of that mission. I, I think it'll happen.
Uh, Al, just with a, a couple of minutes left, uh, do you think the state's doing a good enough job putting that message out there that manufacturing is this bright spot in Connecticut's economy? I certainly do, and I see more and more of that, not only through some uh, articles in the paper and maybe something you see on the news, but it's getting out there. But, you know, honestly, we talk to a lot of students, and it's also the parents who need to understand this, too. We want parents to understand if their children are interested in manufacturing, don't hesitate to let them know, let them see, give them a better idea of what it's going to be because they can build a very successful career. So for our listeners who are interested in this uh, RV, uh, how do they find out how they might get it in, in their child's school? Uh, they can give us a call uh, at Goodwin College, and we'd be happy to speak with them and make arrangements. Uh, that's Al Pusino, Associate Professor and Director of Incumbent Worker Training at Goodwin College. Thanks, Al, for coming in. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And we'll remember the, the four Ds. <laughs> also, Dr. Cliff Thurmer, who's Assistant Vice President for Strategy and Business Development and Chair of the Department of Business Management and Advanced Manufacturing at Goodwin College. Cliff, thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Lucy. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, you've likely heard a StoryCorps interview on NPR. Students at Trinity College in Hartford participated in a StoryCorps initiative to bring people together to talk about politics. Not easy to do these days. We're going to find out more after the break and you can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The death of a pet can be a devastating experience, yet we often expect others to just get over it when we lose an animal companion. Has this happened to you? How comfortable were you talking about your grief? Tuesday, we're trying something new. If you have a story about pet loss and are comfortable with us playing it on the program, call us ahead of time and leave a message on our voicemail line, 860 860- Five eight zero nine six seven seven. Be sure to leave your name and a phone number to reach you. Again, the number for our voicemail project, 860-580-9677. One-on-one conversations produced by StoryCorps have been making Americans tear up while listening to public radio since 2005. But a new project called One Small Step aims to help people from different political backgrounds have civil conversations at a time when divisiveness has grown in our country. Trinity College in Hartford is the first higher ed institution to partner with StoryCorps on One Small Step. Two Trinity students who sat down for a StoryCorps interview are here with me now in studio. I want to welcome Bettina King-Smith. She's a sophomore at Trinity College in Hartford. Bettina, welcome to our show. Thank you. And here with us in studio also is Nick Engstrom, who's a freshman at Trinity. Uh, Nick, welcome to Where We Live. Thank you. So I'll start with you, Bettina. Uh, How did you hear about this StoryCorps One Small Step initiative? 
The school sent us, like, this email, asked us to fill out some information, and then they said, show up at this date and this time, and you're going to have a conversation with somebody who has different political beliefs than you. It was really very simple, and it was a very interesting experience. What about you, Nick? You got the same email? Yeah, similarly. Um, I got, I think we got an email from the president. I think she sent out an email over the summer about this initiative, and it, it caught my interest because I've always been interested in politics and, you know, talking to people. So um, I filled out the survey, and then... You know, it, from there, it just like went on. And then mid-October, I sat down and it happened. Uh, you mentioned that you're interested in politics. And Bettina, you just thought that the idea was interesting. Uh, but uh, besides this actual opportunity to talk to someone who may have different political beliefs, uh, have you ever had that kind of conversation on campus before? Yeah, I think um, I feel like there aren't very many opportunities to talk about politics on campus. Like, I just don't know where the right forum would be to do that. And so that's why I signed up for this experience. It was just like an opportunity that I hadn't seen before. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, definitely coming onto this campus, I was a little surprised with like some of the lack of political dialogue here. Um, like there's just like not sometimes a lot of great opportunities to have political discussions. And it seems like, yeah, I would think walking into college, like people would be very interested in politics. But it seems like here there's not a lot of political debate happening at Trinity. So I thought that this opportunity was really great to uh, take advantage of. I understand that you're a freshman, Nick. So tell us about your upbringing. And uh, when you were in high school, did you feel like you had more opportunity to, to discuss politics? Um, yeah. So um, I grew up in small school, Massachusetts, which is a little bit north of Boston. Um, and I've always had an interest in politics since I was about eight. And I've always been interested in just like talking to people about it and mostly just kind of like getting their perspectives as well. Like, you know, I'm from a, a pretty kind of Republican family, but, you know, we were we're all been raised in the Northeast and in Massachusetts. So we're definitely more, you know, moderates um, on a lot of issues. So I just think it, you know, talking to people, hearing their perspectives has always interested me. I've always loved studying it. So I thought that this opportunity to have a conversation with someone that I didn't know um, would just be a really fascinating opportunity to experience. Do you feel like uh, your uh, parents' uh, values uh, help shape your political beliefs today, or did you pull it from somewhere else? Um, it's probably a combination uh, of all of it. I definitely, um, you know, growing up with, with family members that you have the same political beliefs as, obviously that's going to have an influence on what you think. Um, but I've also done a lot of research on my own. Um, I've just always found politics fascinating, so I've always just kind of Googled things, um, read articles, watched, you know, all different types of news. So I definitely think some of my beliefs are definitely my own. Bettina, you're from California, which uh, has a reputation for being uh, more progressive and more liberal. So I'm curious about uh, your upbringing um, and how often you were able to be uh, involved or engaged with politics uh, growing up. Yeah, so I would say that the environment is fairly liberal in California. And so there's generally a lot of agreement, I'd say, among like my friends and family about, you know, broad political issues. So coming to a place where there is not the same amount of unity about what um, people's political beliefs and talking to people like across the line is really um, something that interests me because you don't really get that opportunity elsewhere. Uh, you're both uh, familiar with uh, the discourse in our in our country mm -hmm. today, and often if someone um, has different political uh, views, it's hard to have a conversation with them. Um, social media plays a fact in that. Um, uh, but mm. I'm just curious, when both of you said that you were interested in doing this StoryCorps conversation, did you have any hesitancy about sitting across from someone having a conversation about politics because it's so divisive, Bettina? Yeah, um, it just... 
when you think about people on the quote unquote like the other side, it's like um, there are people that you can't reason with, but that's not really true. It feels like there are people that you can't reason, but but they're they're just people and they care about this country and they want what's best for it and. That's what's most important. Nick, were you nervous to sit uh, in front of a microphone having a conversation with someone you, you may not know? Yeah, I definitely felt um, a little hesitant at first, but I also thought that you know the opportunity itself would just be an interesting experience. Um, and I definitely think that you know, like we all have different beliefs, um, and I think it's just true. Just like you know, for years we all had different beliefs and we all got along civilly. So I think that, you know, this is just like a, a bump in the road that can easily um, hopefully be fixed and we can move past it. Um, and I definitely think, you know, having more conversations with people is definitely a starting point. And definitely, you know, like showing different political groups and different organizations and different people working together and just sitting down and talking is definitely like a great starting point. Mm-hmm. You referenced uh, in the past, it seems that uh, people from different backgrounds had an easier time uh, having conversation. But why do you think it's gotten more difficult, Nick? Um, I think it's gotten more difficult because I think, and we even talked about this during our, our conversation, Bettina, but like there's just kind of this whole debate about facts now. Um, and it used to be before it's like, you know, there used to be just a common consensus of information that we agreed upon. Um, and it's kind of gone to the point where both sides are challenging that common thread of information. I think we kind of see a lot of the debate around that, that it's not like we're just, disagree- we're not disagreeing anymore on how to solve the problem. We're disagreeing that like the problem even exists to begin with. So I think like that in itself is what's kind of being more challenging in today's society. Bettina, what about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, if we're like focusing the debate on saying we disagree about statistics and things like that, if you're so busy doing that, you can't really focus on talking about like your ideals and where you see this country going um, forward in the next 10 or 50 or 100 years. And we're so caught up in those minor details and establishing what an agreed fact that we can't talk about that, which is what we should be talking about. Uh, This is where we live. In studio with me, Bettina King-Smith, a sophomore at Trinity College in Hartford, and Nick Ingstrom, a freshman at Trinity. Uh, Both uh, students participated in the StoryCorps One Small Step initiative. Uh, Many public radio listeners know StoryCorps very well. So can you give us kind of the the, the behind the scenes of how uh, both of you were able to sit down and, and how was the conversation facilitated? I'll start with you, Nick. Um, yeah, so it started off with, you know, we filled out those surveys and we showed up and we didn't know each other at all beforehand. And it started off with this conversation um, that we each had with the with the lady running the program. And then she brought us up into a room um, and we sat down and it pretty much just started off as a conversation. There was a little bit of structure, but not that much. And it was really pretty free flowing and natural. Bettina? Yeah, it was pretty great. We, they just brought us to our own library and they had a couple mics set up and said, uh, start off by introducing yourself and then talk about your political beliefs and get to know each other. When I was uh, um, doing some background on this initiative, um, the founder of StoryCorps said that the goal is not just to talk about politics, but as you say, just to get to know each other as human beings. And so um, when you decided to talk about politics, how did you bring that up, Bettina? When we talked about politics, we tried to think of it in terms of like what has influenced our political beliefs, what has shaped them, and why we 
think a certain way. And we also tried to find a lot of common ground as opposed to thinking about places where we just disagree and we're trying to come together rather than split each other apart. Nick, do you remember some of the common ground that you and Bettina share? Yeah, I think um, like our conversation started off where we were just asking each other, like, what has shaped your beliefs? Like what in your life has shaped who you are and why you believe the things that you believe? Um, And then I think from there, like we definitely had some common ground with some definitely some social issues, but definitely I think the common ground where it's like, you know, facts are facts and they should be treated as facts. Um, and I think like we both had a mutual appreciation for um, understanding that there's certain information that is certain information and that that should be respected and talked about. Uh, sometimes I think that um, uh, when we think about politics, often it will uh, center on polarizing figures. Is that something that even came up in your conversation? Yeah, I think we mostly just talked about like how we view the world and how like we think that the world should kind of continue down a path to like cut out of this political divisiveness. Um, we did, I think we talked a little bit about some of the extremes like, you know, Trump and Bernie, um, but we both kind of came to a conclusion that like, we're not the biggest fans of either of them. Um, yeah. So I think like just addressing that and seeing that there are moderate politicians out there that have, you know, that, that want to fight for our country and have common beliefs, like they should be the ones that should be elected. For our listeners who are listening to the conversation now, uh, what advice do you have for them, Bettina, for people that they may have in their life uh, that they have had difficulty having a conversation with because politics gets in the way? What would you tell them how they can navigate that? Um, Well, firstly, there's the understanding that they just, the reason why people care about politics is because they care about the direction our country is going in. And that's the right thing that we should all be caring about that. And, you know, if we can find at least like one point of common ground, I think that's a great starting place to sort of try and look past the divisiveness and try and ultimately create a compromise because what we really need is a compromise between our beliefs that will bring us to the right direction. Nick? Yeah, I'd say to try to go into a political conversation or just really any conversation with someone of an open mind and just you know start from the perspective that someone has those beliefs because they care about our country, because they want the country to be the best country it can be. Even though, you know, you might think that that idea isn't what's going to make our country great, but they think it is. So just like knowing that, that, that they don't have bad intentions, I think is like a good starting point. Um, and I hopefully that can kind of like lead to a conversation towards that, like we're all in it together. Was there anything that came up where you disagreed, but you were still able uh, to talk about that disagreement and move on? Um, I think we talked about our perceptions of the country like as a place where you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps Mm -hmm. and by working hard, you can really accomplish anything that you'd like. And I feel that Nick's perspective was a little bit more optimistic than mine. And we agreed that that was the case and then moved on. Nick, do you want to add to that? Yeah, um, I definitely am a firm believer that, you know, hard work and success will lead to opportunities um, that are better. And I do definitely have an optimistic viewpoint on on American society and on those ideas. And I understand why some people don't, because for some people, it hasn't worked out for them in ways that it should. Um, and I definitely see that. But I still have an optimistic viewpoint on that. How has this experience changed the way you talk to people um, in your everyday life, whether it's uh, uh, friends, families, uh, faculty at your college, Bettina? Yeah, so um, political topics and debates usually come up around like the dinner table with my friends. And I think this experience has really made me want to emphasize not just 
like breaking down other people's viewpoints, but perhaps comparing different viewpoints and saying, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? And where can we find common ground? And how can we come to an agreement about something? Nick? Yeah, I definitely think this conversation um, opened my eyes to the fact that like we can bridge these political divides and that, you know, our college should really, we should start to have more political discussions. We should start to allow lots of points of views to be able to discuss. So I'm actually working on a project right now. Um, and we're in the works of creating a political union at Trinity between all the political organizations on campus to try to bring um, bipartisanship to, to the campus. I'm currently working on restarting the Young Republicans Club, and then I'm hopefully we'll work with the Young Democrats Club um, and some of the multicultural organizations and then the Liberty Club, and hopefully we can all work together, find some common ground, and like do a, a, a project that will benefit the campus. That's an interesting idea because I remember when I was in college, it's so easy to be siloed with people who share your same beliefs, but mm-hmm. you're talking about a way of bringing all of these different groups together yeah. to have conversations. Definitely, yeah. Nick Engstrom again, freshman at Trinity College in Hartford, and Bettina King-Smith, a sophomore at Trinity College. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by senior producer Lydia Brown. Special thanks to technical producer Kion Wolf and WMPR intern Panina Beattie. You can learn more about the show at wmpr.org slash where we live. Thanks for listening. <laughs>